And as we prepare for the word of God, listen to a few words from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23 verse 29 says, Is not, not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer which shatters a rock? Join me in one more brief prayer as we pray, as we pre prepare to hear the word of God. Lord, may your word be like a fire to us this morning. First of all, to burn out any impurities, any dross, any evil. May your word be like a fire to kindle our faith, to set us on fire with passion for our Lord Jesus Christ. And may your word be, even as you have promised, like a hammer which shatters a rock. May it shatter any hardness in my own heart, in my brothers and sisters, as we listen and contemplate the very words of God delivered to us in the Holy Scriptures. May your word be like a fire. May your word be like a hammer, declares the Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name for his glory and for his church. Amen. In an excellent book, which I would commend to anybody who wants to read about powerful ways in which God has worked among the church in times and in history and even in biblical events, it's a book called Revival, A People Saturated with God. The author Brian Edwards observes this. Listen to these insightful words. Revival commences with those who in bad times remain good, in godless days remain Christian, in careless years remain constant, and who have eternity in their hearts. Revival begins with those who stand firm, like Hezekiah, in an age of godless rejection, in an age when the people do what is right in their own eyes. It begins with the man who stands for that which is true and right and good. But it also requires a man who can see what the state of the church and the nation really is. See what he's saying? If we desire to see God work in great and powerful ways in our church and our community, in our country, in this world, we must be people who stand firm for the truth, even in the, even in the toughest of times. Even in the times when, when the nation and the people seem to be doing what is right in their own eyes and walking away from Christ, we who name the name of Jesus Christ must be those who stand firm, who walk, as the, the apostle says, in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. As an introduction to our scripture where we'll spend most of our time this morning, would you turn to Ephesians 4.1? This isn't our scripture for this morning. This is an introduction to our scripture this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And just, just look at a little thread of thought through the scriptures with me as we prepare. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In his word, God is very concerned about our walk. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Your walk means your conduct. 
your choices, your behavior every day. It covers the, the great issues of integrity and character, but also the common things of life, how you act at work, how you speak to your wife or your husband, how you treat your children or your parents, how you walk. Turn just a few pages toward the back to the book of Philippians, to the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. Follow along as I read this. Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, that is, your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that, here it comes, you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul is praying for the people of Colossae that they may increase in the knowledge of God and of his will and all spiritual understanding. Why? That they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Turn just a few pages to the very next book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul again. 1st boy, that's an easy one to say. 1st Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may, here it comes, what? Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you hear a repeated theme here? Walk, walk, walk. But what's the other repeated word? Worthy, worthy, worthy. The apostle has chosen a very picturesque word from the marketplace, a word that people would use virtually every day of their lives as they went shopping in the marketplace. You know, in those days, uh, they didn't have big refrigerators and, and storehouses at home, and they would go into the market every day to buy their food. And, and in the marketplace, things were usually bought and sold by weight on a balance scale. You know, a, a balance scale and one pan of the balance scale, they would place the goods that they were buying. Let's say a measure of grain. And on the other pan of the balance scale, they would place a standard, a known measure of weight, a standard of weight. And if the, the goods were too light, the goods would go up and the weight would go down. And they know they needed to add more grain to the pile. And if there was too much grain in the pile, it wasn't the right amount. The, the grain would go down and the weight would go up. And they would gradually adjust it until the two were equal and the scale was in balance and they would say, it is worthy. It is worthy. Everyday marketplace word. Now, the Apostle Paul has taken that word and he's drawn a picture for us. On one hand of the balance scale is your walk. My walk. What's on the other pan of the balance scale? The calling with which you have been called, Ephesians 4.1. The Lord, Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. The God who calls you. That is a weight of four bazillion pounds on that side of the balance scale. And you and I are told to walk worthy 
of that? How can it be? Walk with Christ. Walk in Christ. Walk in union with Christ. Christ in me. Christ in you is the only hope of the balanced scale. But it isn't just a, a mystical walk with Christ. It is a very practical walk with Christ. And throughout so much of the New Testament, the instruction is, first of all, to know Christ, to know the gospel, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. But then knowing Christ, it is to walk in him in practical everyday ways, Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, and so on. And it all divides like that. Know Christ. Walk in Christ. And so that is the great emphasis. And as we turn to our scripture for this morning, 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. Please turn there, 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12, and follow along as I read this scripture in which the Apostle Paul is, is giving his, his young mentor, young man that he mentors instruction in how to be a solid leader in the Christian church and how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with which he has been called. 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. Follow along as I read this. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, verse 10 ends with a thought about people who have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with, with many a pang. And, and the apostle is concerned that, you know, in order to protect himself and others from wandering away from the faith, from, from slowly walking, that's what wandering is, from walking the wrong way, he gives Timothy four very quick, crisp commands, four one-word verbs in order to protect him and protect others from walking away. Now, Notice, first of all, that he speaks to Timothy as a man of God. Flee these things, you man of God. That is one of the most precious, beautiful titles in the Bible. Moses is called the man of God. Deuteronomy 33, verse 1. Samuel is the man of God. 1 Samuel 9, 7. Elijah is quite often called man of God. Elisha is called the man of God. David, by Nehemiah, is called the man of God. Think about all that says about a man, about a person. First of all, it's a possessive construction. One who belongs to God is a man of God. It, it means one who is a servant of God in a special and unique way. One whom God has set aside for a very specific and practical ministry is called a man of God. It is one who speaks boldly for God. The Old Testament prophets are often referred to as a man of God in the context of their prophetic ministry of saying, thus says the Lord, is a man of God. Next, a man of God is one who reflects the character of God. 
makes God known for all that he is. And, he, and Paul says, Timothy, as a man of God, you need to do these things. Now, the word man of God here is not exclusively male. It's anthropos of God. It's a person of God, a, a human of God. If you would desire to be a man of God or a woman of God, these words are for you and for me too. In order to walk in a manner worthy, in order to, to keep the fire hot, in order not to lose that first love for Jesus Christ, in order not to just have a lukewarm faith, here are four very practical instructions. And if you are taking notes, all you need to get down is four words. If you would get down these four words and reflect upon them in the week to come, this will be easy to remember, easy to recall, easy to meditate upon. These four words. Word number one, flee. Flee. Verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God. Flee is an urgent word. Flee is a word that calls for immediate action. It is in the present tense, which in the Greek language means keep on continually fleeing. The, the Greek word is fuge, from which we get the word fugitive. A fugitive is one who never stops fleeing from the law, lest he or she be caught. In the Bible, this word is used for fleeing from the wrath of God, fleeing from a plague, fleeing from a poisonous snake, fleeing from an attacking army, fleeing from a lion. I think we would all agree that all of those are urgent, immediate, desperate, active things. To keep a sharp edge on your spiritual life, there are things you must flee. The old country western song says you've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You know when to run? There are several things in the Bible from which we are told to run. The first one right here is flee these things. Well, what things? Look back at verse 9, 1 Timothy 6, 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang, but flee from these things. Notice he is not saying flee from money. He is not saying flee from possessions. He's saying flee from a desire, a lust, literally, to get rich. A flee from a love for money. We need to be people who flee from this culture of organizations and manipulations and advertisements and people who are always scheming about how to make more money and how to get rich and from a culture that's that's rooted in never having enough and always getting more flee from that kind of attitude well, that's not the only thing the bible tells us to flee turn just a few pages to second timothy 2 verse 22 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. 
It says, now flee from youthful lusts. First of all, that's not just picking on teenagers. Okay? Back in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. And Timothy at the time was in his late 20s, perhaps even well into his 30s when he says let no one look down on your youthfulness and so youthful lusts can refer to certainly the teenage years and the 20s and the 30s and and well beyond that and the second thing I would observe about that is that the word lusts there is plural flee from youthful lusts can lust for popularity it's a frequent youthful lust to be popular you can lust for possessions, fancy clothes, and fast cars. You can lust for power, the power to control people, power to be in charge, power to get your own way. You can lust for pleasure, for food and drink and parties and immoral sex. And every one of those things will destroy a Christian walk with God. They will kill your first love for Christ. They will produce a, a lukewarm and ultimately meaningless Christianity. And so Paul's instruction here is flee from youthful lusts. But that's not the only thing we're told to flee. Look back at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. If you look after the Gospels and Acts and Romans, you'll find 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. Look what it says. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Now that is speaking very specifically of sexual immorality. Proverbs 7 warns about the young man who goes after the immoral woman. It says... As an ox goes to the slaughter, until an arrow pierces his liver. Two very graphic pictures of death and destruction. To go after immorality is to lead yourself like an ox to the slaughter. To lead yourself to be skewered right through the liver with an arrow. Flee immorality. One more. Turn just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is the devotion to, the worship of, anything other than the one true and living God and Lord Jesus Christ. Idolatry, whether it be New Age religion, or the, the worship of Mother Earth and Father Son, or, or the worship of beasts and trees and images, and, and whatever it is, if you are devoted to and following after something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, it's idolatry, and we are told to flee from idolatry. Turn back to 1 Timothy 6, and verse 11, please. Every one of these verses that I've read to you. The word flee is in that present tense. Keep on continually fleeing. Make it a practice to flee from these things. Sadly, I think in the day in which we live, 
there are many Christians who never flee. They just follow a little behind the world so as to not be worldly. You know, the world's doing this, so we'll set our standard here. The world goes a little further, we'll set our standard here. And instead of fleeing, we're just following behind the world. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not the call of these verses. But you know something? If you make it a practice in your life to flee, you'll not be popular. You'll not be admired by the world. You will be laughed at. You will be scorned. Why? Because if the world's all going this direction and you are fleeing, which direction will you be going? You'll be going this direction. And you'll be colliding head on with the people who are going that direction. And they won't like it. Okay? It's not going to be popular. It's not going to be easy. When was the last time in your life that for the sake of knowing Christ and walking with Christ, you fled from something? You literally fled from something. Maybe a person you need to flee from. Because you know every time you get around that person that they draw you away from Jesus. It may be a place that you need to flee from. It may be a circumstance that you need to flee from. It may be a temptation that you need to flee from. But flee means run. Don't walk. Don't rationalize. Don't argue. Get out. If someone walks in that door right now and hollers that the building is on fire, we're not going to call a board meeting to discuss the matter. We're going to get out. Okay? That's flee. The building's on fire. Get out. So, the first practical instruction, the first word you should have written down is flee. Second word. 1 Timothy 6.11. Flee these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. The second word that I want you to write down is pursue. Now, flee is a strong word, and so is pursue. In fact, it's just as strong. This word means to go after something with the intent to capture it. In fact, this same word is often translated in the New Testament, persecute. Because it means to chase after something with a vengeance. Pursue something. Pursue it with the intent to capture it. Now notice the great balance here. There are things from which we need to pursue, to flee, and there are things we need to pursue, and the two go together. The Christian life is not just running away from what is wrong. It is also running after what is right. If we stop running away from what is evil, it will catch us. If we stop running after what is good and righteous, it will elude us. To stay hot, passionate, and on fire in the Christian life. To maintain a walk that is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ to keep that first love for Jesus, to not be lukewarm Christians, there are things that we need to pursue. In fact, Paul gives us 
six of them. Six things we should be pursuing with the intent to capture them. Here are six habits for highly effective Christians. They divide naturally into three sets of two, three groupings. First of all, pursue righteousness and godliness. That goes together, righteousness godliness. When you're living a righteous life, you're becoming more and more godly. When you're pursuing godliness, you're pursuing righteousness. Proverbs 15.9 says, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. God loves it when you and I pursue righteousness. Matthew 5, 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they, for they shall be satisfied. We need to pursue righteousness with all of the intensity, with all the passion of a man who's starving and wants a meal. Hunger for righteousness. Pursue righteousness with, with all of the intensity and passion of someone who is desperately thirsty and sees the water. Go for that water. Go for righteousness. In the early 1990s, a businessman by the name of Jack Eckhart became a Christian through the ministry of Chuck Colson, Prison Fellowship. Now, Jack Eckhart, at the time he became a Christian, just happened to also own the second largest chain of drugstores in America, Eckhart Drugs. After coming to Christ one day, Eckhart walked into one of his drugstores and saw Playboy and Penthouse magazines behind the counter. He looked at that. And he said, get those magazines out of my drugstores. And across the nation, 1,700 Eckhart drugstores stopped selling Playboy and Penthouse magazines. And that decision cost Jack Eckhart's business, Jack Eckhart's business $3 million a year and lost revenues. Someone asked him why he did that. And he said, because God wouldn't let me off the hook. God wouldn't let me off the hook. He had a conviction that even if it cost $3 million, he was going to pursue righteousness. I'll change how I live. I'll change my income. I'll change my job if necessary. I'll give up those kinds of things if necessary to pursue righteousness. Because I serve and you serve a God who is holy, holy, holy. And he says to us, be holy as I am holy. Pursue righteousness, no matter what it costs. Pursue godliness. Godliness means a, a life of reverence for God, obedience for God, living daily in the awareness of God, pursuing Christ's likeness it compels you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called. So pursue righteousness and godliness. Second pair, pursue faith and love. You know, those go together as the two great Christian virtues, faith Hope and love abide. The greatest of these is love. Well, faith means a confidence in God. Faith means believing God. We have been 
reading about Abraham. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's faith, believing God. You know, in the Bible, faith is a gift from God, but faith is also something you pursue. It's both. How do you pursue faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Be in the fellowship of God's people regularly. Be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night. Be involved in that midweek Bible study. Be around Christian people talking of the things of Christ, and you will be building up and pursuing faith. Pursue love. That's the beautiful Christian word, agape. But agape love isn't just a, a warm feeling. It's a commitment. It is a, an action, a choice. Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment in the Old Testament is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he says the second is like to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then, very importantly, he gives us a word picture to understand what that kind of love is. And what is that word picture? It's the parable of, anybody know? The Good Samaritan. Yeah. Go out. Who loved that, that man who was beaten up and thrown in the ditch by the robbers? The one who took care of him. The one who served him. The one who met needs. You want to pursue love? Look for somebody who has a need and care for them. Meet that need. Third pair of virtues is perseverance and gentleness. These are, are qualities of the character. First, Perseverance means enduring under trials. It means when tough times come, you don't just bail out. You stay in there. It means that when, when marriage is hard, you don't just bail out. You persevere. It means when, when church and serving at church isn't easy, you persevere. It means not compromising on your principles of integrity and truth, but you persevere. It means standing firm in persecution. Persevere. How do you pursue perseverance? Persevere. When you are in a situation that requires perseverance, you persevere, you'll be growing in perseverance. You're in that situation that requires perseverance and you bail out and run away. You know what's going to happen? God's going to put you in another situation just like that one until you learn the lesson and grow in perseverance. So persevere by persevering. And then second, call for help. Call for brothers and sisters to encourage you and pray for you and support you. Persevere. Second, it says pursue gentleness. Now, this word gentleness is sometimes translated meekness, but it doesn't mean weakness. We live not far from horse country, Kentucky horse country, and when a horse is broken, it is said to be gentled, which means that it is willing to submit to the human rider. It is willing to submit to the bit and the bridle and the saddle. To be gentled is to not be self-willed and always bucking against the will of God and fighting against the will of God. To be gentled is that I will submit to God in those circumstances. Six habits for highly 
effective Christians pursue gentleness and righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance. But I think you'll agree, pursue is a very active, hard-working word. Have you ever seen somebody pursuing something while sitting back in the recliner? Have you ever seen somebody in hot pursuit of something while relaxing in the hot tub? I think not. Pursue is an active word. How do you pursue all of these things? They're a family. They all live together in the same house. You can pursue all of them by making it an object of prayer. God, make me a more righteous man. I would challenge you to pray this week one of my very favorite prayers from a, a pastor of a few hundred years ago, the great Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane. His favorite prayer was, Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Do you dare to pray that prayer? Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. You could also pursue this whole family of virtues by accountability by being involved with, with other Christians with a very specific purpose of we're going to hold one another accountable for what we flee and what we pursue. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Don't be with those kind of people, but be in the word and meditating on the word of God that you may pursue all of these things. I ask you this morning, from what do you flee? What do you flee? What are you chasing in this life? You know, when I look at people, when you look at people, we can usually tell what their pursuits are. If a young man is pursuing a young lady for a romantic relationship, that's generally pretty obvious to all of us, isn't it? If a, if a man is pursuing an education, we recognize that. What are you pursuing in your life? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So we've got two words down. Word number three. Write it down. Fight. Fight, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Now that's also a present tense command. Keep on continually fighting. That is also a pacted, a an active, not pas passive word. The, the Greek word for fight is agonizo. Sure, you can hear the word agonize in that. This word was used for both athletic contests and military battles. Fight with all the intensity of a soldier who is fighting for his life. Fight with all the intensity of an Olympic athlete, the discipline, the hard work. But this is a call to fight for the truth. Both 1st and 2nd Timothy are filled with fighting words, but it's always in the context of fighting for the truth. Listen to 1st Timothy 1.18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight. 
And as you read a few verses surrounding that, you see that that's a call to fight against these people who are false teachers. These people who are twisting and distorting the word of God and bringing in myths and speculations and error. And he calls Timothy to fight against that distortion. You've got to know when to flee and to know when to fight. We don't fight temptation. We flee temptation. We don't fight immorality. We flee immorality. We don't fight lusts. We flee lusts. But we fight for the truth. 2 Timothy 2. Verses 3 and 4, again, the same theme. Paul says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Do you fight like a soldier for the truth of Christ? As many of you know, my son Josiah is in the army. He is in the 10th Mountain Division. Now, people who know the army, and I did not know this until Josiah was assigned to that division, the 10th Mountain Division has a reputation for being one of the fittest, best prepared divisions in all the army. They are trained very hard to be ready to fight. Why do those soldiers train? So that they're ready to fight. Are you ready to fight? Are you willing to fight for the truth of God's word and God's ways? 2 Timothy 4, 7, the end of his life. Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have, fe- I have kept the faith. The end of your life, will you be able to say that? I've fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. The word fight, agonizo, implies discipline, consistency, commitment, concentration, and hard work. Those are not easy things. Those are hard words. Fight. Last word. Word number four. Write it down. Seize. Seize. Verse 12 continues. Take hold or seize the eternal life to which you were called. You made the good confession in the presence of Christ Jesus. Again, we have a very passionate, active word, sometimes translated take hold, but, but often a word that is, it has a violent side to it. Acts 16, 19, same word. It says they seized Paul. And the context here determines the force of the word, and it's the context of of fighting and pursuing and and fleeing. And in the same way, it's the idea of seizing something with all the passion that you can muster. So seize eternal life. Now, what does that mean? It is not speaking of salvation because Timothy is clearly already a believer. It is not speaking of dying and going to heaven, obviously. What does it mean for a Christian to seize eternal life. Well, verse 19 in the same chapter gives us a clue because it uses the same words. Verse 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so they may seize that which is life indeed. Seizing eternal life 
is seizing on eternity. Seizing on the idea that I am not living for this world. I'm not storing up my treasures in this world. I am living for eternity. Life is a dot. Eternity is a line that goes on forever. Which one are you going to live for? Which one are you going to make your treasures for? You know, Jesus said, do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Seize that idea that I am no longer living for this little dot. I'm living for all of eternity. I'm seizing on that concept. These two short verses, Paul is exhorting Timothy to keep that walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep the fire hot in his Christian life, to keep that first love for Jesus glowing and burning, to not be lukewarm in the Christian life. And he gives him four simple words that I hope you have written down and you've got pretty well burned into your brain right now. What are they? Flee, pursue, fight, and see. People will know you by what you flee from. People will know you by what you pursue. People will know you by what you fight for. People will know you by what you seize. I'm very concerned that much Christianity in our day, even evangelical, Bible-believing Christianity, has become rather passive. And, and very often the idea of a Christian walk reduces to a, not a whole lot more than avoiding evil. You know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. We are called to so much more than just a passive avoidance of evil. One of my favorite hymns is Rise Up, O Men of God. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Let's pray. Indeed, O Lord, o Lord your word is both a fire and a hammer. And I pray that just a little bit of the passion of your word has descended upon our hearts and minds today that we would be convicted about things that we need to flee from, things we need to pursue passionately after, things that we need to fight for, and things that we need to seize upon. Pray that your word cause, cause us to grow closer to Christ to walk in Christ, to know Christ, to love Christ, for his sake and his glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.